So today we're going to talk about the glory of God. We're going to begin to talk about the glory of God. Can't really talk about the glory of God in one day. You can't talk about the glory of God in one lifetime because the glory of God is an eternal subject. But we're going to do our best to uh, talk about the glory of God alone. This will be the last of our five-part series on the five solas. You remember what they are? Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So that's our foundation and practice, Scripture alone. We're saved by grace alone. It is through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all of that is for the glory of God alone. In other words, the glory of God is His. It's not that God doesn't allow us to be partakers of His glory, but we do not take His glory. We do not get credit for what is His glory. Salvation is of God. It is accomplished by God, and it is for God's glory. Therefore, we should be a people that seeks always to live for the glory of God. We should seek always to glorify God. We live our lives, we actually, whether we realize it or not, but especially as believers, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, the reality is we live our life before the face of God. We live under the authority of God, and all is for the glory of God. It's really important for you to know, for you to realize, for you to have this sense concerning yourself and your life and your very existence that you exist, you live for someone and for something greater than yourself. We are here for someone and something greater than ourselves. That is so important because we live in a culture and it's not just our culture. It's not just our time. This is the human condition. This is human nature. This is our fallen nature. This is what we're born with. We live and our lives become centered around us. We are the center of our world. We are the center of our universe. Everything revolves around us. That is our nature apart from Christ. That's who we are in Adam. That's who we are in our fallenness, in our sinful state. But that's not the truth. We are not the sinner. The world does not revolve around us. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for something much greater than ourselves. All things are for the glory of God. 
John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Who is the him? It is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. All things are for the glory of God. All things exist for the glory of God. For without God, nothing exists. So before anything, before the material universe, before this very globe that we're standing on, before anything existed, there was God. We see this in Genesis 1 when the record of the beginning, that's what the word Genesis means. It means beginning. And in the beginning, before there was anything, there was God. And God said, let us make man in our own image. Who is the us? It is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the Godhead. But before there was a world, before there was a universe, before there was a man, there was God. And the reason there is anything other than God is because of God. All things exist because God brought them into existence. And he brought them into existence ultimately for his glory. Look at Romans chapter 8. So follow me as we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This may be a scripture that you are familiar with. It's, it's a wonderful promise. You should mark this in your Bible. You should remember this and rely on this promise. Romans eight twenty-eight. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. You'll notice something there. What Paul writes, he writes as a completed act. He writes it in the past tense. He doesn't say, moreover, whom he will predestined he will also call he will also justify he will also glorify he says whom he predestined past tense these he also called past tense completed whom he called these he also justified past tense completed and whom he justified he also glorified past tense completed what that means for you who is the you? And we know that all things work together 
for good to those, here's the you, you fit here if you love God and you are the called according to his purpose. You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do I know whether I love God and I am the called according to his purpose? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you love God? And if you love God, the only possible way you can love him is because he loved you first. 1 John 4, 19, we love God because God first loved us. Or Jesus to his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. Do you love God, Christian? If you love God, it's because God loved you. And if you love God, then you are the called according to his purpose. You can have assurance that this promise is for you. And that's really what I want you to see right now. I want you to see that you can have the assurance that this promise of Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30 is a promise to you, for you. You don't have to wonder if it's for you. Do you love God? If you do, then you are the called according to his purpose. He has promised you that he will work all things together for good. He's also promised that he has already justified you and he has already glorified you. Where has he done that? Where did he predestine you? Where did he call you? Where did he justify you? Where did he glorify you? He did that in Jesus Christ. Your place in Jesus is secure. The promise of God in Jesus for you is secure. Now, I want to point out that what this scripture does not say is that you and I are perfect people. What the scripture doesn't say is that you and I never make any mistakes. We never fail. We never sin. We're always faithful. That's not what it says. See, here's the problem. You read what that scripture says, and it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Sounds really wonderful, but sometimes we look in the mirror and we go through life, and we don't look so wonderful. We don't feel so wonderful. Our life and our actions and the things that happen to us are not always wonderful. This is not saying that life is always wonderful. This is not saying that you never make mistakes or you never fail. What this is saying is in spite of who you are, in spite of your sinfulness, in spite of your fallenness, in spite of your failures, in spite of the lack of wonder that we may have, in spite of our worst moment on our worst days, when we can't seem to get it together, we can't seem to get it right, 
We want to glorify God, but we just can't seem to really make that happen because I keep failing. What this says is in spite of that reality, there is a reality that transcends that, and that is the reality of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He predestined you. Ephesians 1 tells us when he did that, before the foundation of the world was formed. He called you. He justified you. He glorified you. Now why is Paul writing this? If you go ahead and you read the rest of this chapter, you know exactly why Paul's writing it. Because he's writing to people just like us. Who have great imperfections, who have great failures, who have great struggles. And he's writing to the believers. But he's writing for us also. So that we would know that in spite of our fallenness, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of all of those things, God has done something that transcends our failures. And he did it when we weren't looking. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. We're talking about the glory of God today. To God alone be the glory. You will, this is what Paul is writing, this is what the scripture teaches us, you will be glorified one day. In fact, it says you're already glorified. It's a completed work. In terms, as far as God is concerned in Jesus Christ, right now you have been glorified. That means you're not going to derail God's plan for your glory. Because your glory, now before you get a big head and think, wow, God's got a plan for my glory. Before you get a big head, let me remind you, your glory is for His glory. Your glory is not for you. My glory is not for me. The glory that God has glorified us with is not for ourselves; it is for Him but we are joyful partakers of it. We should be thankful partakers of it. It should cause us to do a little dance and sing a little song because it really is a glorious thing that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is the promise of God for you that it, all things ultimately lead to His enduring glory. Here's an amazing thing. Even your failures lead to His glory. Even our pain and suffering leads to His glory. Don't try to figure it out. Just take the promise and know that what you cannot see today, you will see one day. What you do not know today, you will know one day. When that glory is revealed, when that glory is seen and known, 
not just by the eyes of faith, but when you are standing in it. I love what Paul says in Colossians. He says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Paul is writing about what has been done, but he is writing about what has been done as we look forward to the reality of that completed work. This is the promise of God that all things ultimately lead to His glory. That means that you were made for the glory of God. You were made for the glory of God. Glory is not determined by our circumstances. Glory is not determined by how you feel. Glory is not determined by what you believe it is or how you choose to define it. Glory transcends that because glory is of God. Our circumstances are subject to His glory. That's how God can make this promise that all things work for His glory. This is how He can say to us that all things work together for good. He is doing that. You're not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't know how to do that. And it seems like sometimes the more I try to work things together for good, sometimes they just get more broken. I don't know. Anybody ever experienced that? But God, God knows how to take anything and everything and bring it together for his glory. Now, he doesn't show us exactly how he's going to do that and exactly what that's going to look like, but he has absolutely told us in no uncertain terms that that is exactly what he is doing. And he tells us that Because he wants us to be a people full of hope. We live in a world that has too much hopelessness. There are a lot of hopeless people out there. If you haven't met them, trust me, they're there. God has given us hope. Hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his spirit. That's Romans chapter 5. In fact, Paul says we glory not not only in the glory of God, not not just in the wonderful things that God has done for us, but Romans 5 verse 3, Paul says, we also glory in tribulation. Knowing this, that our tribulation is producing patience, perseverance, and our patient perseverance is producing character and character is producing hope and then he reminds us that hope does not disappoint and it doesn't disappoint not because of what we do but because of what God has already done by pouring out his love into our hearts by his spirit You were made for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Let's read this. 
for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If not for you, I need to read that again for myself. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's really hard to convey what the Apostle Paul is really writing there. It's hard to convey in our language. But I want you to understand that when he writes this, when he's writing about what God is working for us, this far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, that he is trying to convey and communicate something that is far beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. See, you can comprehend and you can understand the pain and the suffering and the affliction that you go through. You know what that pain is. You know what that inconvenience is. You know what that tragic horror is. You know what real fear is. You know what real suffering is. You can get a handle on that because you're living in that. You're living under the weight of your affliction. Some afflictions are heavier than others. But what is more weighty, what is heavier than your affliction, what is weightier and heavier than any affliction any human being can go through is the weight of his glory. The weight of his glory is so heavy that it makes the afflictions that we experience here in this world light by comparison. In fact, Paul says the weight of his glory is so weighty, it is so heavy, what God is working for us is so weighty and is so heavy, it is exceedingly greater. It is eternal. The affliction you are pressed under, Paul says, is momentary. But the glory that God is working for us through these afflictions, through this life, the good, the bad, the ugly, what God is working for us, the glory that he is working for us is so weighty, is so heavy. It's exceedingly heavy. But it's not just heavy. It's not just weighty. It is eternal. 
what you are passing through now is momentary, but what God is preparing you for is eternal. The light afflictions of this world are but for a moment, but the, the glory that God is working for us in Christ is eternal. And it is more and it is greater. It exceeds beyond what we can comprehend. So don't try to comprehend it, because you can't. But do dwell on it. Do meditate on it. Do look forward to it, because it is real. The glory of God in the glory that is being worked for us carries a weight that is far more exceeding and eternal than we can think or know. This is God's promise. We were created for the glory of God and God uses all things to bring us to glory. All things are for the glory of God. You're for the glory of God. It's why you exist. And to seek God's glory is our greatest responsibility and also our greatest privilege. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We need to hear that again. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Well, just exactly what, what does he mean by whatever you do? Anybody want to take a slab at that? What, what does he mean by that, whatever you do? Don't overthink it. It means whatever you do. Whatever you do, do all. Not some, not most, not half. Do all to the glory of God. Let me read you something from a, from a little piece called the Cambridge Declaration. It says, During the third century, the highest form of worship toward God could only be offered by those in full-time ministry, by the priesthood. And so the clergy and laity were separated with greater glory going to the clergy, thus drawing glory to themselves instead of giving glory to God alone. The service of God was considered the only worthwhile calling, while all other vocations were common and inferior. They believed that ordinary work was necessary but demeaning. In response to this false teaching, the reformers began to use the term calling to refer to any vocation that God equipped someone to perform. They believed that whatever work God had given us to do, it was to be done faithfully, and it would glorify Him in the same way as any other faithful work. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul teaches that whatever we do, it should be done by faith to the glory of God. 
The reformers made no distinction between spiritual or temporal, sacred or secular. They believed that God had created us to be workers or producers. Whether you were in the pulpit, the field, or the home, everything done by faith would bring glory to God. When it comes, so here, here's the reality. In other words, when it comes to the glory of God, man makes distinctions that God does not. For glory, there is no distinction between spiritual or temporal. What does that mean? I always tell people, spiritual, we, we want to think it means like a ghost or something. Spiritual simply means eternal. There are things that are eternal and there are things that are temporary. This pulpit, it's temporary. This can pass away. We could take this down to the recycle center. They could grind it down and recast it into an aluminum, whatever they want. This is made of solid aluminum. But there are other things that are eternal. These are the spiritual things. It's not that they're not substantial. What God has promised us in Jesus Christ is not less substantial than this cast aluminum. What God has promised us in Jesus Christ is more substantial than this concrete slab this very building's built on. Because even this concrete slab can pass away, but what God has given to us in Jesus cannot pass away. It is eternal. It, it will never pass away. That's the difference between spiritual and temporal. Spiritual is eternal. It can't pass away. Temporal is temporary. Sacred and secular. What's the difference? Well, some would say, I have a sacred vocation because I'm called to be a pastor. Maybe you're a plumber. They would say, well, that's a secular vocation. We can draw that distinction, but in reality, being a pastor does not glorify God more than being a plumber. In fact, there are plumbers that can glorify God much better than some pastors can because there are pastors out who, there who teach all kinds of wacky things and they're false doctrines and they're doing anything but glorifying God or they live one way on Sunday morning and a totally different way on Monday morning or Monday night. Or... You've heard it said, or maybe you haven't, but I have, hanging around with pastors. Well, I don't really care what my pastor does as long as he brings the word on Sunday morning. What he does in his personal life is his business. No, sorry, wrong. And this is what the reformer said. Hey, the priests are not closer to God than the peasant. God made the priest, God made the peasant. The peasant can bring glory to God just as much as the priest can and should. So the plumber can glorify God just like the pastor can glorify God. In Christ, they are both kings and priests unto God, but with different callings or different vocations by which they bring glory to God. 
doesn't matter what our calling or our vocation is. The point is this, that God is working in us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. We are commanded to do all to his glory, whether that's fixing plumbing or fixing cars or preaching sermons. It doesn't matter. We are to do all to the glory of God. It's hard for us to understand how revolutionary that was. It's really probably difficult for us to understand how freeing that was, how liberating that was. Because you had people that, that yearned to have this calling or have this position because it would have put them closer to God. It would have gotten them out of situations and circumstances. They would have been looked at differently, thought of differently, but, but they were just reduced to this vocation of something secular, something less than sacred. They were down here while this class of men were up here. God didn't make that distinction. Man made that distinction. God says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Revelation says that in Christ, we are all kings and priests unto our God. It makes absolutely no difference what your vocation is. If you are in Jesus Christ, God calls you a king and a priest unto him. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy because of your truth. In his mercy and in his truth, he has made us all one in Christ. Christ is our head. Christ is our great high priest. Christ is the one that enables us to live our lives in such a way that regardless of our calling or vocation, we are to bring glory to God because you were created for his glory and all things are for his glory we are to do whatever we do as unto the Lord and we are to do all to the glory of God that is his command that is our privilege and I want you to see that that really is a privilege a grace that God has given us God doesn't just demand that we glorify him God has given us the privilege, the ability, the grace that through our lives we bring glory to Him. Not because we're perfect, but because He is. The glory of God is to be recognized in all things, but specifically, the glory of God is known in Jesus Christ. I won't read it to you, but Psalm 104 is a beautiful psalm. And Psalm 104 pictures the glory of God in all of God's creation. In fact, I would encourage you just to, to go home this afternoon and, and read Psalm 104. And you'll see that Psalm 104 chronicles the creation. It talks about 
the beauty of the creation, the wonder of the creation. It talks about how God created the vegetation for man's food. It talks about how God has given man the privilege and the ability to go out and to work, to do his work. And in his work, man glorifies God. This is what the reformer saw. That it wasn't just the priesthood, but it was the farmer going out and farming that brought glory to God. It was the shoemaker, the cobbler that made shoes that brought glory to God. It was the miller who ground grain who brought glory to God. It was the baker who baked bread that brought glory to God. These were considered demeaning less than occupations and vocations, but they were absolutely necessary. God says, no, they're not just necessary, but they are absolutely glorifying to me. And I call certain people to certain vocations and give them certain gifts to do certain things because that's what I have done. And they are to use those for my glory. So you see this picture of God's glory in Psalm 104. And in verse 31, it says, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. That enduring glory of God is revealed and made known to us in all of his creation, even in the universe. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. A number of years ago, I did a teaching on the signs of the zodiac. Not 12 signs, because there's not just 12 signs. There's actually 12 houses, and in those 12 houses, there's actually, each of those has three other signs there's like 48 in reality and what you what you see not in a demonic way but what you see is that God has literally written the story of the gospel in the star in the constellation the heavens declare the glory of God not just because the stars are beautiful and the moon is wondrous to look at but because God has literally written his gospel in minute detail throughout his creation. And for those who have eyes to see, they will see. And those who have ears to hear, they will hear. And they will know the glory of God in his creation. So that enduring glory of God is revealed. It's made known throughout creation, but it is most powerfully and most specifically made known and made manifest to us in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the face of God's glory. And God has brought us into his very glory by his grace. By his grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. For the glory of God alone. The glory of God is seen all around us. But what you must see is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came. That we would see him. That we would know him. 
and that we would glorify him. My prayer is that you would have eyes to see Jesus. As Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and no other voice will they follow. My sheep know my voice and no other voice will they follow. My prayer is that you know the voice of Jesus, that you follow the voice of Jesus because you know that Jesus and Jesus alone is the face of God's glory and he is alone your Savior. I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table. Prepare your heart. Prepare yourself to come to this table. This table that reminds us. This table that renews us to the truth. The truth who is Christ. Christ who is the Word of God. Christ who is the grace of God. Christ who is the object of our faith in God. Christ alone who is our salvation and Christ who is the face of God's glory. As you trust in Jesus, I invite you to come to the table. The world very often tends to beat people down and make them feel less than useful, certainly less than glorious. God reminds us that he created us for his glory. That he uses us in all things concerning us for his glory. And God would want us to take heart in that. God would want us to find encouragement in that. That even in the things that the world, that the enemy, that even ourselves, would use for our destruction, God takes those things and he uses them for our good and for his glory. Here's your charge. Please stand. The scripture commands us to do all to the glory of God. You are created for his glory. Live your life. Do your work. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Love with all your heart. Live with all your might. And do all for and to the glory of God. Know that all things are for his glory. The hard things, the easy things, the difficult things, the fun things, all things are for his glory. The painful things even are for his glory. But most importantly, you are for his glory. And he has promised to bring you to glory in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the reason to give thanks. This is reason to rejoice always and in all things. Amen.